So one of the things I didn't know when I became a parent was that I would get tackled all the time. Like it's just part of the hazards of my house. So this is kind of what happens. One of my kids at full speed, like full bore running, flailing their arms and their knees and their elbows come and find me unsuspecting. Usually I am on the couch watching some sort of sporting event because I don't really care what's on. I just want to watch it. And they come and they like full like cannonball onto me. Like it is dangerous They don't give me a heads up. Now, sometimes it's because they're playing tag and they've decided that dad is home base. They didn't tell me. Like, I would have gotten a helmet, pillows, maybe a a cup or something, you know? Like, but they've decided, okay, I'm gonna go to dad and he is kind of the safe place. And they like get there and they yell and they scream and they're like screaming bloody murder. And they're like, bam! and then the other one runs in and then the other one runs in. It gets pretty intense. But here's the other scenario. Usually the other scenario where I get tackled is when one of my kids has been offended by the other. You know, like they're in conflict, you know? And it's like, you know, she took my cookie. He, you know, hit me. She was born, you know, just like whatever. And they're just running as fast as they can and they reach me and they're like, base! And they think that I'm going to be a safer place than where they would be if they're with their sibling. Now, sometimes that's true. It depends on where their knee hits, if that's actually true or not. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? But it gets, it gets a little intense. But the reality is they think that I am home base, that I'm safe. And I was kind of thinking about it. We all desire safety in one way or another. We might not say it that way. We might not know what it is, but we want to feel secure. We want to feel like we have a home base, that we feel safe. We want to know that everything's going to be all right. A couple of examples of that. Maybe, maybe we think that in the context of our country. Now think what you want politically. That's not the point, but oftentimes in an election year, have you noticed that people start talking about national defense, security, safety in a way that maybe they hadn't the other years. And by and large, here in the United States, we don't have a looming military invasion kind of hanging over our heads. But that's not the case throughout the entire world, is it? And I see things going on in the news like the Ukraine, and I'm praying for that, and I don't know what God is doing through that. And sometimes I see what's going on, and we don't know what to make of it, right? But it is a reminder that Can you imagine not feeling safe in your own home? And we vote even accordingly to who we think will provide that type of safety and security. This is definitely true in our community. You know, we pour over the news when there's like a car accident or there's an assault or a shooting or a murder or whatever. You know, we care about the safety. We also like when we're in, you know, line and we see a car accident, we also like really like to look at it for some reason. Like, we know what it's going to look like, but we still spend a lot of time looking at the fender bender. But I think the reality is we do deeply care about the safety and well-being of our community. And the most obvious place that we desire safety is our home. We invest time and energy and money into like ADT or Simply Safe or Ring or all of the other kinds of, you know, kind of home security systems. We lock our doors. And sometimes... This is the reality of it. It's deeply difficult because a place that should be safe, home, isn't. Our homes sometimes are actually the least safe place. 
And at times, when it comes to abuse, or when it comes to pain, or when it comes to suffering that comes along with it, it is difficult. And if that's the case for you, I am so sorry, and we want to journey with you. We want to dig down into that with you. We want to help you and be there as you're walking through that. And my hope would also be that our church is a safe place for people. But I know that that's not always the case either. I mean, I want the church to be the absolutely safest place in the world. Unfortunately, I have been hurt by people who go to church. If I'm being completely honest, I have been hurt by people who go to this church. And maybe you have too. And it's difficult because we want a place that we feel like we can belong and that we're safe, but also we have to deal with people. And if you haven't been hurt by somebody at some point in church, give it time. We'll give it our best effort. But we struggle because we want church to be a place of safety. I deeply want that. But it also can be a place of disappointment or judgment or pain. And throughout our lives, we keep, just like a little kid running full bore to home base, we keep seeking after safety. We want secure bank accounts. We want safe people to talk to. We want security in our job. Maybe we seek out a place that we can be ourselves, not constantly judged or harassed. Maybe we just want a place that we can ask hard questions. And maybe you desire a place that feels safe and you're struggling right now because no place feels safe for you. And maybe you're even asking yourself, is there? Like, is there a safe place? Here's what I mean. Did you know, has it registered on your radar, that this is the two-year anniversary of the coronavirus and COVID and everything shutting down? Like today is the day that we were dealing with all that stuff here, kind of at the ridge about what to do on Sunday. Two years. And I think there are some things that have happened over the last two years that there are things that we thought we were secure in, we thought we were safe in, that don't feel quite the same way anymore. And I'm not necessarily just talking about virus stuff. I'm talking about home and work and the way that we go about in our community and in our lives. It just doesn't feel the same way. And you're going, you couldn't possibly understand what's going on in my life, Adam. You couldn't possibly understand where I feel safe and where I don't. God couldn't possibly understand. Safety is kind of an illusion. Now, we're in this series here at the Ridge. We're going through the book of Joshua And we're talking about how to win and lose well. And we've talked about this guy named Joshua who was following God, that he was strong and courageous because God was with him and he was with God. And there are all these battles that took place that Israel won and some of them that they lost and that had a lot of impact on these people in this community. And right smack dab in the middle of all these epic things going on and the promised land that had been talked about that God was delivering to the people of Israel, there's a chapter, it's chapter 20, where this word comes up kind of randomly over and over and over again. Here's the word, talks about refuge. Now refuge simply means safe. Home base, sheltered, security. But sometimes when I read the Bible, I don't get it. Like I read it and I go, why is this in here? So if you read in the book of Joshua, we're actually going to do that right after this series in the Ridge Reading Challenge to kind of go back over it again. 
There's all this stuff in the book of Joshua that we read it. And so all these epic battles are happening. And then there's chapter after chapter of stuff that sounds like this. So then Joshua gave this land to these people over here. And then Joshua gave this land to these people over here. Like chapters of it, snoozeville. Like what? I don't know what that means. And then right in the middle of that is chapter 20, where it talks about cities of refuge. The cities of refuge are really places that people could go if they unintentionally or accidentally kill somebody else. That's what a city of refuge is. What? So where do they go? What happens? Why do these things exist? That's kind of hard to understand at first glance, right? But if we slow down, I think there's some amazing stuff in this chapter of the Bible. So check this out. This is just the start of that chapter, verse 1 and 2. The Lord said to Joshua, Now tell the Israelites to designate the cities of refuge as I instructed Moses. Here's what I want to point out. God had this, these cities of refuge, these places for people to go in his plan the whole time. It was a part of the plan. He had actually told Moses, the previous leader, that cities of refuge were going to be a thing. And Israelites were expecting that when they got to the promised land. And then he said, okay, Joshua, we're here. Now it's time to do it. And like Reed said last week, God always has a plan. He's working. So what does a city of refuge mean? How does it fit into God's plan? Why does this matter? So this is verse 3. Anyone who kills another person accidentally and unintentionally can run to one of these cities. They will be places of refuge, of safety, home base, for relatives seeking revenge for the person who was killed. And then God goes, the rest of the chapter, God goes and gives instructions on where people would need to go in the city, how the local leaders would put them on trial, how long it lasts, and then it lists the cities that Joshua chose. So what are cities of refuge? A city of refuge is a place a destination, a city that saves you, its home base. Now check this out. In the culture, not just in Israel, in many cultures at the time, if somebody was killed, you know, so if a relative of yours was killed, the closest male relative was charged with seeing the murder avenged and not like, you know, Avengers style with like superheroes and stuff. Like, they would go after and they would take them out. They would go and try to murder them. It would kind of become blood feuds. And to me, that sounds like the plot of all sorts of different movies. You know, this is like Taken 4, The Promised Land, or something like that. And they have these special set of skills, you know, and all the type of stuff that go along with that movie. But if this relative found the killer, the accidental killer, outside the city of refuge, ever, before or after the trial... They could kill him. That was common in cultures at the time. Blood feuds, revenge. And that seems kind of foreign to us, except for when I think about all of our movies and all of our TV shows and all of our books. Like, it happens all over the place. We love it. We love watching it. Like, get him. Take justice into his own hands. Like, let's go. Until we think about it in the context of, like, real people and real situations. And so these cities of refuge are literally a matter of life and death. And so when these people got there, the leaders, the elders of each city would put them on trial. They'd hear the evidence similarly to how we do today. And the city of refuge was a safe and fair place 
to do so. And these were cities that were accessible, like they had roads to them. Everybody knew how to get there. Everybody knew where they were. And these cities allowed people to not get caught up in like the blood feud and the revenge that was never ending because then they're like, well, they shouldn't have killed him. And then they go after that relative and then they go after that relative and it just keeps going and going and going and going. It was actually a pretty big problem. Doing this kind of took passion, took grief, took revenge out of the equation. It made it more like our justice system, actually. So city of refuge is a place that saves you. Who cares? Why is this in the Bible? That's a good good question to ask sometimes. If you're reading something and you come up to something, you're like, okay, whatever. You turn the page, just ask. Maybe you don't know the answer, and that's okay. But why? Is this in the Bible? Here are a couple of reasons that I came up with. First one, I think God cares about perfect justice and perfect mercy. That's something we can learn. There is never a time that God has been unjust. Think of a parent who cares deeply for their child's well-being. And justice is a part of being a parent, right? I mean, we know it is. There are consequences to actions. You don't believe me? All right. If you don't think that there are consequences to your actions and kind of in a child-parent relationship, why don't you go ahead and scream at your mom today? Don't do it. Like, here's the scenario. Like, you go to one of those big box stores and you're in an aisle. Have you ever been in, like, a store and you hear a kid yelling at the mom in the next aisle over? Do you feel the same thing I feel? I feel, like, deep fear for that child. Like, don't do it. Don't do it. Like, this is not going to turn out well for you. This is not going to end well. It might not be right now. She might be incredibly patient, but I promise you there will be consequences to you doing this right now. It's kind of like that. Justice is really getting what we deserve. That's what justice is. Justice is actually a form of love. And God is just, and he cares so much that he doesn't sit idly by while we make mistakes, sin, short of God's standard. He knows what is right and what is wrong because he kind of created the standard, you know? And he's not only giving perfect justice, kind of reaching into our lives and helping us see what is right and wrong, he also gives perfect mercy. That's what we can learn from Joshua 20. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Think of a parent who cares deeply for the child's well-being, you know, that mom in that store, and they choose to be patient even though the child might deserve a more severe consequence. That's where the term, I brought you into this world and I'll take you out of it, came from. So this obscure part of the Bible, this Joshua 20 part of the Bible, reminds us that God is paying attention And he cares about what's right and wrong. And it also reminds us that we should be paying attention and care about what's right and what's wrong. We should care about justice. We should care about mercy. We should care about what's true, not just how things feel. And God didn't want blind revenge to happen. God's justice and mercy are perfect. And it's not a warped view of it. He cares about perfect justice and perfect mercy. So that's one thing that we can learn from Joshua 20. Here's the second thing. Jesus is our refuge. God cares about perfect justice and perfect mercy, and Jesus is perfect justice and perfect mercy. 
And if you look at the entirety of kind of the Bible, the thing we call the Bible, there's these two halves, Old Testament, New Testament. The entire Old Testament points to Jesus in the New Testament. And that is what's happening here in Joshua 20. Jesus is an amazing example of God's justice. So Jesus willingly goes to the cross. It's called crucifixion. It was a nasty thing. And Jesus is on the cross, and the sins of the world, including mine and yours, are represented there. And Jesus' death is what satisfies God's justice. God couldn't just ignore the sin. Justice requires a penalty, a consequence. And Jesus met the price for our sin, for where we fall short of God's standard. And that means the penalty for sin fell on Jesus too. That is kind of in a paragraph, what we call the good news, the gospel. That's what Jesus came to do. But here's where it gets good. Because it's not just that that happened, as if that's not amazing enough. It's that since we have an opportunity to believe in Jesus and to follow Jesus, when we do, we can, like a little kid, run in as fast as they can to get to their home base. We can find a safe place in Jesus. See, if a city of refuge is a place that saves you, Jesus is the person that saves you. And I'm talking about two things when I'm talking about this. I'm talking about heaven, I'm talking about eternity, I'm talking about the future, You know, what Jesus did on the cross and conquers death, saves us and reconciles us so God, so we can be with God in heaven, like the heaven part. But here's the hope for today. Jesus being our safety, our refuge, our home base, gives us hope and peace and comfort in a way we can't have outside of him. It's a both-and type of proposition because we need safety. We want it whether we know it or not. We need a place that we feel like we can be, where we can be secure. And this story in the Bible, this random Joshua 20 story that you're reading, you're like, I don't understand any of that, is in there to remind us that God cares so deeply about justice and mercy, and he also cares so deeply about grace that he wants us to interact with Jesus. But you might have this question when it comes to refuge. I had it at least. How? Like, how do I take refuge in Jesus? Because I read this stuff, maybe about cities of refuge, or we talk about this type of thing at church, and we go, God cares, he loves me, kumbaya. Remember kumbaya, anybody? See, he loves us, and we know that Jesus is the reason, like, that, that's what's, that's our, that's how we know God loves us, is because of Jesus. But we're still a little fuzzy on, okay, so how do we find our refuge in him? Is it as simple as us running full speed like a little kid and cannonballing into his lap? I mean, yeah, but also no. So how do, how do we do it? That's a, that's a fair question. We're just going to go through three ways. Three ways. They're not all the ways, but three ways that we can take refuge in Jesus. Here's the first one. Stop looking for refuge in other things. I don't like, I don't like this. This is hard. And if we're being honest, we all do this. 
Where do you find your safety? If it's not in Jesus, where do you find your safety? Where do you find your security? Where do you find your hope? Where do you find your escape? Where do you find your peace? We're tempted to look at all sorts of different things for our safety. Maybe it's a substance, you know, something literally that we turn to, you know, alcohol, food, substance abuse, drug, and we seek out kind of this safety. It's false safety. It's actually escapism. But when the feeling comes back, uh uh-oh, and we, we think about it as the worst of the worst. We go, okay, well, it's, it's just you know, that type of stuff that is addiction type stuff. Maybe, maybe not. What about unhealthy relationships? Do we want to feel love so we allow ourselves to change the definition of love? Maybe it's to sex or maybe it's to someone noticing us. Or maybe we seek refuge in good stuff. We seek refuge in success We work hard at school or hard in our career and maybe we're really good at our job and sometimes we can be so successful by the world's standard. Maybe our family is exactly how we want it to look. Our house is exactly how we want it to look and we still feel sad or we still feel lonely or we still feel empty and we don't know what to do. See, if it's not Jesus, it's not refuge. And other things can only provide a false sense of security. False sense of security. I was watching like security footage online. You know, you the security camera. That makes us feel secure, right? Like, that's great. We got them at our house. We got them here at the ridge. We got them like so we can watch someone steal and then what? Like, isn't, isn't that hilarious? It's hilarious to me that we're like, we have the camera. I see you. I cannot stop you, but I see you. That's a false sense of security. It might help us a little bit later. That just really keeps honest people honest. Jesus is the only real refuge we'll ever have, we'll ever find. And I think it's important to mention that does not mean that we will never have any difficulty or that we will never have anything that harms us. That's what we want it to mean, but that's not really what it means. It's way better than that, actually. It's deeper than that. It's spiritual safety. Those two things I was talking about, it's heaven, the promise of heaven, and it's also hope in the middle of the difficult stuff. It's peace that comes from him in the middle of the difficult stuff. It's joy despite our circumstances. That is what it means to have refuge in Jesus. And that's a little harder to understand. But refuge in Jesus is more about fullness of hope, of peace, of love, of joy than it is lack of harm or hurt. To take refuge in Jesus, we have to. Stop taking refuge in other things. The second way we can take refuge in Jesus, we can seek refuge with people who seek refuge. Have you ever been lost? Like really lost? Like so lost that your phone is dead lost? Like a gasp. Your phone can die. Did you know that? And then you can't look up where to go. I don't remember how to read a map anymore. Can you imagine you're off somewhere? You have no idea where you are. You have no idea how to get to where you're going and you're lost. Your phone is dead. You're by yourself. What do you do? You're not calling anybody. You're not texting anybody. You can't even play like Angry Birds on your phone waiting for somebody to help you. What do you do? You ask someone for help. 
It's, it's as simple as that. You go somewhere that's well lit, that's secure, that's everywhere. I don't know, say McDonald's, because they're everywhere. You go and you ask them where to go or what to do. That's a good solution to that. Let's change the scenario. Say you're lost, your phone is dead, you have no idea where you are or, or what to do, but there's a friend with you who does know where to go. Do you trust them? That is kind of an illustration of Jesus being our refuge. We don't have to know where to go. To seek refuge in Jesus, it can be deeply helpful to trust Jesus, but also to do it with other people who trust Jesus. People who love Jesus, people who are doing their best to seek refuge in Jesus. That's actually one of the reasons that we talk about groups so much here at the Ridge. We have these groups that meet, and they're not perfect. But the hope in a group is you get together, you discuss a Bible study, you hang out, you pray together. But in reality, where they're golden is when something is crashing down around you, and you have people to know you and to love you, and maybe to tell you the truth, or people that you trust climbing down into the situation with you, praying and loving and guiding and hoping and giving advice. That's an amazing way that Jesus provides refuge. It's with other people who seek refuge with him too. So we stop seeking refuge in the wrong places. And we have people who seek Refuge in Jesus, as my hope would be, every single person who calls themselves a ridger is that type of person that can come alongside somebody else and help and take refuge with them and to guide them. But there's one more way. It's not just stopping and it's not just seeking with other people. This is the most important. This is the hardest one. It's just one word. It's the word surrender. Now, not to let the cat out of the bag, but we have like four things that we say over and over and over again here at the Ridge that we need to do. Pray, read your Bible, have a group, give, surrender. Now, we use different words, so you think that we're saying other stuff? But really, at the end of the day, we say this over and over and over again because it is that desperately difficult to do. This is one of the themes, not just in the book of Joshua, but in the Bible. We think surrender is defeat. We think it's giving up. It's not. It's letting go. It's intentionally letting go of what we want, of what we think, of what we feel, and it's intentionally putting God in that place. That's really difficult to do. But that's putting God at the center of our lives. And the safest place to be is always the center of God's will. And the only way to do that is to give up, give up over and over and over again, to let go over and over and over again. And if we're in God's will, honoring him, following him, God promises to be our refuge. He promises to provide the safety of hope and peace and joy. And I don't know what you have going on in your life. I don't know if you feel like you're running from or running toward. I don't even know if you're paying attention. But I do know that if a city of refuge is a place that saves you, Jesus is the person that saves you. It is Jesus. It is always Jesus. It is only Jesus. 
And the way we find refuge in Jesus is by asking Jesus to be our refuge. That's it. Over and over and over again. And I know that sounds simple and it's also infuriating. But if we give it up, we truly give anything away that doesn't honor God. If we let go and allow Jesus to be who he says he is, to allow the Holy Spirit, God in us, to guide us and to prompt us and to lead us, then, then we will be safe. Maybe not out of harm's way. Maybe things are still difficult. But the safest place to be is always in the center of God's will. So I don't know where your heart is. I don't know where your safety is. But I, I do know that if you ask Jesus to be your refuge, he will. And if you already believe that, my encouragement to you is be a guide for someone else seeking refuge. But if you feel conflicted today, if you don't know what's safe and what's not, I believe that Jesus is all you need. That's it. Stop looking for refuge in other things. Let it go. Surrender it. Seek refuge with people who know Jesus. And as you surrender, Jesus will be, not can be, will be your refuge. And he'll provide hope and joy and strength and peace in a way that nothing else will. I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, I'm reminded that We all seek safety in things that don't honor you. Things that are good on the surface, bad on the surface, whatever. We need your help. So today, right now, we surrender to you. Give us the wisdom to know what honors you and what doesn't. Give us the strength to care about perfect justice and perfect mercy. And as we surrender that to you, help us be like the little kid, flailing arms and elbows and knees and jumping into your arms. We need you. God, we need you. We need you to provide. We need you to lead. We need you to save And we're thankful for the way that you love us and how the cross leads us directly to that refuge and that safety. We ask for it today, right now. If we never have before, just right now we say, Jesus, will you be my refuge? I surrender to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray today. Amen.